y'all got your Bibles, you got your notes, ready to take it. This is a foundational lesson tonight. We're going to speak on the topic of God's will to heal you. God's will to heal you. You, that God will heal you. So a little bit of my journey on this is that in the beginning on the theology of healing, I wanted to get now to believing that God's will to heal every time would be a little bit easier. It's good to believe that God's will to heal. Most people will say, yeah, I think if God wanted to, he's God, he could heal. But not everyone every time. It's that little piece at the end that's something else. And I had to decide, do I believe this or do I not on that aspect of it? And if you don't believe that it's God's will to heal everyone every time, then it's hit and miss. You don't know when it's your time and when it's not. So it leaves a lot of room for movement. Now, you've got to realize I'm really young at this point. I approach this reluctantly. But part of me didn't want to believe this because I didn't want to have to defend the view, first of all. And I didn't want to have to live up to what I believed. Uh, to be honest, sometimes it would be easier to believe that God chose to heal sometimes and sometimes he didn't. Because if you believe it's God's will to heal, it puts the ball in your court. It places the ball inside of your court. So, as a kid, I was thinking these terms. Sometimes it would just be easier to lay in bed and be sick. You know, not go to school. You know, people are really kind to you. <laughs> then to get up and resist it. <laughs> because I knew what it would take if I really believed the Lord that it was His will that you have to resist the enemy. And so these were my thoughts going through it and approaching it. So I'm taking you on my journey. So I approached healing as something that I wanted to find out what the word really said. And so I'm not trying to shove it down your throats. I'm taking you the same way that I went through it. And I found it to be shocking what you find out to be in the Bible. So this is my journey with it. So I approached it very slowly and very carefully. And I studied scriptures and every viewpoint I could find. And I came to the conclusion that healing is very much in our covenant. And it parallels just exactly to the forgiveness of our sins. And because of that, I realized that healing is the same as forgiveness as far as theology goes in Scripture, as far as how the Bible approaches this subject. So I'm going to give you something to think about to kind of help you with how people have, because welcome to a world of objections. I'm just going to take you down where the Lord took me. But... The first questions ask of if you believe in healing, then why are Christians sick? <laughs> Let's just do a very practical thing. Why are Christians sick? And the answer that I would say back to you theologically, now I'm talking just pure theology right now, is that I would ask back to you, then why do Christians sin? Because the same payment that paid for us not to sin is the same payment for us not to be sick. But we don't have a problem with the fact that Christians are constantly sinning out there, even though it says that the cross broke the power of sin and we're dead to sin. Mm -hmm. No one goes, oh, well, it's just not for everyone. <laughs> they don't do it on that issue, but it's the same payment at the same time theologically. So it's the experience issue. Both had the penalty paid. Both were taken care of on the cross. The cross broke the power of sin. And it broke the power of sickness. Have you felt the urge to sin some? You might feel the urge sometimes to give in to symptoms. It's the same thing. So I wrote this down. Yet, 
What is ours by doctrine is not always ours by experience. If you are a little sinner that you've committed sin, then you're also going to understand the struggle with sickness, that it is the exact same thing. Now, I'm going to explain something to you on this subject, though. This is where you need to make sure we make a dividing line right now, because if you're basing healing on your experience, on your track record, or on someone else's experience, that is where most people come up with all these crazy views about it. This lesson tonight is what does the Bible say about healing? Because what we're doing is my belief on healing and forgiveness is not based on whether I sin or how often I get sick. It is based on what God's word says. You can't have an experience-based theology and it not rock you. It not send you all different directions. If you base your theology on your experience, you're going to live in troubled waters. You've got to base your belief on healing on what the scripture says, what the word of God tells you. There's something to it that if you'll make up your mind that it's not based on whether I ever see it work. It's not based on any aspect of anyone else, no matter whether someone's good, not, whether I understand it. You make a decision that if God's word says it, I believe it, though every man be found a liar. And then that clears up a lot of things. And I'll tell you what it clears up. It clears up the enemy doing something to you to make you quit believing in God. If you'll get past this and you say, I don't care if I go to my grave and never see this work, I still believe it because God said it. And you're sinking something down in there that the word of God is your final authority. The word of God is what you build everything in your life on. And it's not built on experience. And everybody hollers about experience, but they don't apply it to this. And everything they teach is experience based and they get off. So we're going to go to the word base and you'll be shocked what it clears up. And also what it'll do for you if you base it on what the word says. And that's what got my little body out of bed when I was a kid. <laughs> and said, okay, I'm going to use my authority and I'm going to resist the enemy. This is our beginnings. This is our search. So number one, I started looking for the perfect will of God. I wanted to see what goes on when you can find the perfect will of God. Because of the fallen world, it gives us a lot of bad equations. It gives us a lot of things that ought not be. So the perfect will of God is in two places. It's in heaven and the Garden of Eden. So whatever is in heaven is God's will. Can you agree with that? So that's how you look into it. You could stop right here and say, I know what God's will is on healing. It's what's going on in heaven. If you want to know God's will in a matter, look at the pattern for his perfect will. In heaven, that's what we're supposed to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're bringing heaven down to earth by prayer. Heaven is our standard. You also see the same concept that when he started with man, that was his pattern, that is what he made in the Garden of Eden. And it demonstrates that God's will was before it changed our environment. And then three, I'm going to throw you another good one. In the millennial kingdom, Isaiah 11.8 has some very unique scriptures. It says that a child can play next to a cobra, and it's not going to be the same problems. 
It says in Isaiah 65, 25, there'll be no harm again. Now you see God starting out with his will. In fact, he had a little trouble in heaven, had to kick a few out. Then his will on earth, and then man should have kicked somebody out. And then we see again in the millennial kingdom. So this demonstrates where healing fits into God's perfect will. Now, where did sickness originate? Well, sickness came in on the hills of man sinning. And if you want the verses on death is a Christian person's enemy, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 26. And then it tells you that God doesn't like it in Ezekiel 18, 32 and Ezekiel 33, 11. So what gets us in trouble when we're dealing with perfect will of healing is not having a death is my friend theology. That's what people do when something bad happens just to give themselves kind of a coping method. And like I was saying, this is based just on pure theology. I want us to see what God has to say about it. All right. The next thing is that we are commanded to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not pray, not what's done on earth to heaven, but <laughs> we don't pray it up that direction. We don't pray of our problems. We don't pray what's going wrong. And that's how most of us are praying. We're praying what's being done on earth. Lord, here's our problems. Here's what I need. And we're praying our problems up rather than praying heaven down. God's perfect will is being done in heaven. And Revelation 21.4 tells you about heaven. There's no wheelchairs. There's no sickness. Listen to these words. There's no tears from their eyes. This is where verse 4 starts. Death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Heaven. So there's no sickness in God's perfect will. And I would advise us, pray down his will onto earth. So right now you're advised of what is God's perfect will, healing. Now let's keep moving through scriptures about what God says because each one of these were strong enough that I was like, wow, this amount of theology alone is powerful. So the next one, number two, is that God put healing as a force within nature. Did you know that God's will to heal is in your body? The body heals even on plants and animals. You cut it and it starts trying to heal. You cut the bark off of a tree and it starts trying to grow back. You guys pull the tail off of a lizard, the tail will grow back. <laughs> the body will heal itself. Doctors will tell you it's not that we're healing, we're just working with your body's attempt to heal itself. Isn't that wonderful that God put within our human body the will to heal? That blows me away to think about the very nature of your body. It starts trying to react. It starts trying to heal. So, a broken arm? Will you break an arm? Are you skin yourself? Aren't you glad you don't keep all your breaks and all your skin knees? You know what little boys would look like by the time they were 21 if they didn't heal? <laughs> We'd be going, that's one big blob of bloody mess. I mean, boys would look terrible if they didn't heal. Girls can say, thank the Lord, there's healing right inside of us. And the very act of the disease or how the disease functions in the body, it's like a war. And there's a lot of deception that goes on. 
I don't know if you've studied on how cancer works, but it tries to hide. It's deceptive. The body misreads it. A lot of times you can pray over your immunity system to have more discernment. (laughs) I was reading an article on cancer when I was in college. It said in the National Geographic that cells speak, and it said that the cancer cells were saying death. Bad cells hide within good. Body's immunity gets confused and it attacks itself. So the immunity, which is trying to heal you, starts attacking itself. But it's still, when you look at it, you've got to applaud what God did is he put within us the desire for the body to get well. In fact, we have something within us that wants to live forever. That's where we were given 120 years by one account, that we have within us the life that God has said. Okay, nature has determined a healing force in it. Healing is a natural force, and it's not even a supernatural force. Right here, it's just natural. Because how about if it was this way? Only Christians, only their bodies heal. All the non-Christians, their bodies don't heal themselves. If they skin themselves, they just stay skinned. Is that how it works? No. He put it everywhere. There's the healing force that's just flat in the natural realm. And then secondly, God's given us this gift called doctors. A large part of our population would be dead if it wasn't for this thing called doctors. As far as theology goes, because this is a talk on theology, most doctors make better theologians than pastors because they believe you should be healed. If they lose a patient, they try to figure it out on the next one. If a pastor loses a, quote, patient, he buries it and says, well, it's going to happen to all the rest. (laughs) But not a doctor. He fights it. Think about the doctor. When he dedicates his whole life to getting rid of sickness, it is very frustrating for him for someone to come in and try to tell him, oh, it's just God trying to teach me something. That's when he needs to say, get out of my office. You're in rebellion to God's will then. Get out. (laughs) Why are you trying to get will if God's trying to kill you? I mean, that's how mixed up our theology is. So it's very simple as you see it passing down. You see it within the body. You see it within creation. You see it within even the doctor profession, even in the natural. So both of these things, the body and the doctor, are both very natural gifts from God, very natural of giving us healing, that the doctor has wisdom, and you can see the increase of wisdom growing. But I'm going to give you a caution on a doctor because it's where their inspiration comes from. You need to hear who, because they can make mistakes. You can go to 10 and get 10 different diagnoses. It's still natural. And so it sets us up for 2 Chronicles 16, 12, that doctors should be secondary to you, always secondary. Let me read you this verse. It says, in the 39th year of the reign of Asa, he became diseased in the feet. Now that doesn't sound like a very bad illness. He just had feet problems. His disease in the feet was severe. And yet in the disease, he did not seek the Lord, but he only sought the physicians. Isn't that a great verse? So it's not saying don't seek the physicians. It's saying seek the Lord first. Doctors are secondary. Your primary care physician is Dr. Jesus. He's the one that you go to. He's the one that you seek first, and then you see what he tells you. Now, I wish we had a verse now for this one, but it's not Google. 
<laughs> that's your primary source of all your information. First, you seek the Lord because he can speak to you. So that gives you the correct order. And there are some different like cults that are against doctors. So certain groups forbid it. The Bible does not forbid going to a doctor. It forbids making that doctor your trust. The Lord is your trust. He's your source. You listen to him and do what he tells you to do. It's a lot easier if you can pull it straight down from the Lord. So Matthew 9, 12, Mark 2, 17, and Luke 5, 31, Jesus gives a favorable view to doctors' attempt to heal you. But it admits sometimes they can't get you healed. If there were times it was God's will to put a sickness on a person, then going to a doctor would be a direct rebellion against God's will for their life. I'm being facetious. I am not telling you to do it. I'm just saying that would need to be done if you were staying consistent with your theology on it. And yet every day people think God's putting stuff on them, but they still go to that doctor. Your prayer would need to be if you really think God's doing this to you, Lord, just give me more. Give me more. And I hate to say that because I'm being facetious and it's a joke. Because there's actually theology out there now that prays that way. So, number one is the perfect will of God. Number two, we've looked into that there's a gift that God has given us, even inside our very own bodies, that wants to heal you. Cry out to God. He is the best doctor. Then, number three, the thing that God gave us, as I began to look into this and study it, when you're talking about healing... The thing he gave you for healing is the cross. The cross and physical healing is literally a gift from the Lord. In John 3.14, it points to a very important scripture. John 3.14 talks about Jesus and his death on the cross. And it says that it's taking this concept from Numbers 21.4-9. And this is the story of the serpent on the pole. And the serpent on the pole. I want you to think about this. Get this. This is not a story in Numbers about salvation. It is a story about physical healing. It is a story where they were being bitten by snakes. And they had to look to the snake on the pole in order to get healed. And Jesus said, my death on the cross is this. It's that same story. That is why the medical profession has snakes wrapped around a pole. People think, oh, that's so witchy. Oh, it's not witchy. It's Numbers 21, 4 through 9. In the old days, people knew their Bible well enough to know that it was referring to a scripture on healing. So Jesus himself is comparing his death experience on the cross to a story about physical healing. You can't subtract that out of there. Then when you go to the prophetic side of it, it's Isaiah 53. And when you begin to read those beautiful words in Isaiah 53, Surely he bore my pains. Surely he carried away my griefs. Surely he begins that. Someone said, if he surely did it, I surely don't need to. He bore the pains of my mind. He bore the pains. It begins to talk through him of the emotions. And you can see in Isaiah 53, the prophecy that it takes care of you in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, and in your body. Now, what's beautiful about this, this is God, by the spirit of prophecy, telling you hundreds of years before it takes place the purpose of it. This is a view of the cross that even the disciples didn't have. 
Isaiah is seeing what God is saying will take place on the cross. So interwoven together is the cross and physical healing. And as it says it, it says griefs is the first word. It can be everything from anxiety to calamity, disease, grief, and sickness. That's why you'll see that translated several ways. The next word that it says he bears is our sorrows. That is our anguish, our afflictions, our griefs, our pain, our sorrow. So you're seeing him bear pains of the mind, pains of the heart, pains of the soul. And then in case he left anything out, and he says, by his stripes we are roughed. (laughs) We are healed. By his stripes we are healed. Become fresh, completely healed. And so you see this picture in Isaiah unfold And then, of course, the beautiful thing that our sins are as scarlet, but he makes us white as snow. Now, of course, theologians grab it, and they don't want it to mean physical healing. You think they must be after it for some reason. They don't want to have you agree that it's physical healing. Now, doctors believe in healing, but not theologians. So they quickly do something to it to make it not be physical. They just put an adjective in front of it. They go, oh, don't you get it now? It's spiritual healing. All feel yourself, you deflate going, how about if they're right? You know, here it is in Isaiah, all written out like this. The words testify, but now they're telling me in theology class, it's just spiritual. Well, I wish Jesus had said something about this. You know, it'd be nice if Jesus wrote a commentary. (laughs) You know, I had a professor and he was stood up in class and he was telling us it was spiritual and it was not physical. And I said... I read Jesus has a commentary on it saying that it's physical. Oh, my goodness, he got so mad at me. I mean, he thought for sure, where is this cult commentary that you're coming up with? And I said, well, it's in the Walker Memorial Library. He said, what are you talking about? Jesus was not a writing prophet. I said, oh, yeah, he wrote on this one. I said, he wrote a commentary on Isaiah 53. He was like just begging me, please. I hadn't liked what he was saying. I said, look in Matthew 8, 16 through 17. Jesus goes out and he starts healing people. He delivers them. He cast out demons. He said he brought every single sick person. And he said, and I healed every single one of them in order that Isaiah 53, what Isaiah said through the prophet, would be fulfilled. He just made it physical healing. It's not just poetic, figurative language. He just wrote a commentary on Isaiah 53. And he said, do you want to know what it means? It means I heal everybody in sight. It means I heal all of them. It means it's so physical that I'll cast out a few demons to throw in on top of it. And now Isaiah's fulfilled. Which Isaiah didn't say anything about demons. You know, like Jesus, he always gives a little extra. The professor was done. Why are you so against believing it? Isaiah says it in the language, it's physical. And now Jesus had to demonstrate it and tell you, I did this so that Isaiah would be fulfilled. Wow. He interpreted his death. He knew I'd be sitting in that class one day and needed some help. (laughs) So Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, it tells you that the word, the word of God is even your health. It says the word is medicine. You ought to look at that word. So I'm going to ask you, what's your recommended doses? Because you sure are good at uh, taking your other medication, but the word of God is medicine to your body. 
Like it knows to go exactly to where the pain is, where the hurt is. The word of God starts healing you. Beautiful words. Psalm 107, 20. He sent his word and he healed them. What beauty there is in something so horrible as a crucifixion. To have God substitute what we had done, our sin, to be paid for in order to give us healing back. If you want me to really kind of mess up their theology when they're being negative, is to tell them Isaiah 53 is about the cross. And this is even before the cross that Jesus had put this into play, that he had begun healing. How about if he had only done it in those 40 days that he was on earth between the resurrection and the ascension? No, Jesus healed, and he said, I'm fulfilling Isaiah right now, 53. Well, I love the way that Jesus is forever yesterday, today, and forever. We're serving someone without time. <laughs> I mean, he messes with your theological mind. This is where I was seeing myself. I'm going to be jumping out of bed rebuking. I can tell it already. No more attention. (laughs) No more my favorite soup. I will resist this. (laughs) Unless you pray over it and bless me. Okay, so another aspect of it is the communion testifies. The communion represents his death. It's the Lord's Supper. And there's several ways you can tackle this, but the elements of both the blood and his broken body, because it says by his stripes we were healed. So when his back was laid open, and there's 39 marks where it just ripped him, it ripped through his muscles, then that was what was paying for our healing. And there's people that have talked about that diseases fall in 39 categories. I haven't been able to document that. But there's some interest to the fact of he, 40 they believe would kill you. They did one short of it. But your healing took place in those stripes. So when Jesus stood up in John 6, 49, and he makes them all mad, drink my blood, and, you know, they get real turned up over that. And they said, look, you're misunderstanding him, please. So they come to Jesus and say, would you clarify? And so he says, sure, eat my flesh, you know. <laughs> So in that chapter, he's crying these elements out because he said, I am the bread of life. And in this, he says, and the bread is life for this world. It doesn't say, I'm the bread of life and this will get you to heaven. Here, have some eternal bread. He said, it's life for this world. The stripes he bore was for your healing down here on earth. The blood forgave your sins, but what happened to him of where they were, oh my goodness, pushing those thorns into him, sticking the sword into him, opening his back, that's paying for your healings. So communion a lot of times is a point of contact for many people to receive their healing. Why are we talking ourselves out of this? So beautiful. Which kingdom does sickness come out of? Well, you can't pray effectively if you're not sure of God's will on the matter. So you need to establish this. The easiest and the most straightforward is John 10.10. That there's two distinct kingdoms and you draw a line down your page and you put steal, kill, and destroy. The thief steals, he kills, and he destroys. And you put on the other side, Jesus, the good shepherd, life and life abundantly. If he just said life, you would just think, well, just breathing. But 
praise the Lord, as wonderful as existing is, he's telling you it's abundant life. These are very distinct. These kingdoms don't mix. He's saying just like light and dark can't mix. This doesn't mix in John 10, 10. Luke eleven seventeen. he talks about a kingdom divided. If you truly believe God is all-powerful, then you don't need to believe he needs Satan to do his missions for him. He doesn't need the help of evil. God is good. You should learn it on the high side. Some people get so chased by the devil, they finally get smart and turn to God. But it is not how it was supposed to be that you're that dumb. <laughs> the prodigal could only fall so far. And by the time you're eating some pig slop, sometimes we wake up. But God, he doesn't mix the kingdoms. He says it to us very straight. So think of it this way. He's not going to put on you what he paid such a huge price to take off of you. James 1, 6 through 8 says a double-mindedness where you have two minds that you get confused on it. It says that what happens is it puts you in a position that you don't receive answers to your prayers. It tells you don't even expect to because you're double-minded. But when you're trying to receive healing, you don't need to be dealing with two sources. You don't need to be listening to God's thoughts and the devil's thoughts because doubt will give you a payload and so will faith. Fear will give you certain things. Fear has a magnet spirit to it. It attracts it to you in the spiritual realm. If you get into fear, it says, whatever you fear, it will come upon you. And there's three or four scriptures that tell you that fear is one of the worst things. That's why Psalm 91, when it talks about pestilence, it not only talks about delivering us from pestilence, it says it delivers us from the fear of pestilence. Because the fear of pestilence stalks you. It stalks you, the fear of the enemy, the fear of the disease. And that's what starts bringing it to you. So this double-mindedness makes you in a position where you can't receive from the Lord. And so the second aspect of this is sickness is an oppression of the devil. Acts 10, 38, it gives you Jesus' mission statement. You can look it up. It's on his website. And it says that he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So he's telling you that sickness is an oppression by the enemy. Thank goodness he gave us an origin statement here. He's telling us where this comes from. This is what we're on right now. Where is sickness coming from? It's the pit hole. Luke 13, 16, the lady's bent over double. It doesn't tell you that she did something wrong. It doesn't tell you that God's teaching her anything. It doesn't say anything like these things that we've come up with. It says whom Satan has bound. Satan had bound her, and then it calls it a spirit of infirmity. And then he was saying that even Abraham's covenant was enough to get her free. This ought not be. You're a daughter of Abraham. He's saying there's enough healing in the Old Testament you could have gotten healed of this, gotten this spirit of infirmity off of you. So origin, interesting verses, but it's telling you clearly where it's coming from, the oppression of the devil and the binding of Satan on our lives. The next aspect is the curse came in. And the curse comes on us because of not obeying the Lord. It's Deuteronomy 28. And the first 14 verses are the blessings if you obey the Lord. But 15 through 68, it is the curse comes on you. And if you want to know where sickness comes from, it's the curse. It's cursed. It's a curse. 
the way that Deuteronomy lays it out for us, it names every kind of sickness you can imagine. It names sickness after sickness after sickness. I mean, mildew to hemorrhoids is in that list. I mean, it's everything's on this list. And then it says, in case I forgot any, every sickness, every disease known to man is under this curse. Verse 60 through 61 talks about every sickness, every disease. It just, everything's under the curse. But Paul tells you in Galatians 3.13 that under Jewish law, it was a curse to die by crucifixion, which is how this curse begins. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. How do you know that it's this curse? Because then he goes on to say in verse 13, but Jesus has redeemed you from the curse. So as that verse sets this passage up on Deuteronomy 28, Paul tells you, you're redeemed from the curse. So when I'm studying healing theologically, I'm seeing a redemption program that took care of the curse of the law. And it covers a lot more than sickness. It covers captivity, going in under the spell of the enemy. It covers all types of things that are a curse. Even separations. It covers many different aspects here in the redemption from the curse of the law. It's beautiful to think that redemption meaning that a price was paid and someone took the price for our sin. There had to be something given in our exchange for us not to pay for our own sin. So we were redeemed. So what you can do when you're studying healing and believing is you can take all the curse of the law and say, I'm redeemed from this. I'm redeemed from this one. I'm redeemed from this one. I'm redeemed from this one. You can read them with the redemption in mind. Otherwise, they're horrible. But you read each one of the curses of the law, reading your redemption each time. There's inherited curses in Exodus 24 through 6. We're up to three or four generations that people have sinned in your family, and it says that they sinned, they ate the grapes, the green grapes, but it sets your teeth on edge. In other words, the children are paying for what the fathers did wrong. So that's something else that has to be broken is generational curses. Also, people in witchcraft have a spirit of infirmity attached to them. That's Revelations 2, 18 through 19. And it comes in from unrepentant sin. That's what makes this witchcraft thing go on and on, unrepentant. It lands them in a bed of sickness. So if a spirit of infirmity is moving around, you've got to check for this aspect of unrepentant sin involving witchcraft and worshiping someone other than God. You could put it in our terms today, plurality. This is God's will to heal you. So don't do anything to mess up that it's God's will to heal you. In other words, don't get involved with these things that pull you into spirits of infirmity or unrepentant sin or, or land you in these things. That It's God's will to heal you. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. <laughs> okay. Then, if you enjoy this aspect, get out your strongest concordance on this one, but... Uh, Look into the word salvation, what it means. Oh, if I said it's a great word, it's not strong enough. Let's just say it's a very rich word. The definition is shocking, both in the Hebrew and the Greek. So what does salvation mean? Heaven bound? Eternity? Life forever? Fire insurance? None of those are in the definition of salvation. 
Nothing that we say salvation means is in the definition of salvation. Nothing. Read what it means. Salvation is an inclusive package, a total provision for the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. You can't separate it out like we're doing. You can't just say it provides for my spirit to go to heaven one day when it's all over with. That is not what it's talking about. That's not what salvation means. Salvation is a very now word. It's very strong, and even though you may have heard this story, it bears repeating because it's such a beautiful illustration. But there was a a young boy, and he and his mother and his family were very poor, so his mother and the children were trying to make it over to America. It was the New World. It was only by ship back then. And they were so poor that all she could afford to pay for was just their passage. So she had purchased that, and the kids were on the trip, and they took some food with them, but there was a point in the voyage that they ran out of food. And the little boy, they said, would look in and watch everybody eating and wish he had had the money. Like, I wish I could be rich and eat with everyone. And so he was living on poverty and starvation. And one day, the captain came by, and he asked him, why are you not in there? And the kid said, well, I only have a ticket for the voyage. I don't have enough to have eaten in there. And the captain looks at him and says, didn't you know that the cafeteria and the food came with the voyage? It was part of the package. Y'all, how many people are going to get to heaven and realize what was part of the package? It is the word salvation. That's why the Lord doesn't let us tear the word up and only make it mean one minuscule thing that possibly this could be it. It literally is a package deal. And both the Hebrew and the Greek. I mean, it's rescue, it's victory, it's life, it's healing, it's deliverance. That's why you can say everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone will be healed. Everyone will be delivered. It's the same word. It's a beautiful word. I would tell you to start reading it in the original language, that word. 1 Timothy 2.4 gives you new meaning when it says that God wishes and desires for everyone to be sozoed, saved. He desires all to be saved, healed, delivered, rescued, set free. There's no need to say, if it be thy will on healing anymore, you'd have to say, if it be thy will to be saved. It's the same word. It's whosoever will. It's beautiful words. So the next point that we're going to stop at and take a look at is healing didn't stop with the apostles. In Matthew 10, 7, 8, and 23, it clarifies this by saying, now to the end. Now, and he says, to the end. It did not die out at the end of Jesus' ministry. The great I am, I am the Lord who healeth thee, is not the great I was. (laughs) And that's what we've made him to be. For he so dramatically declared himself, I am the Lord who Rapha's you. (laughs) That's why it's Rapha Healing Center. You'll see it. It's that word in the Hebrew. I am the Lord who healeth you. You're taking his I am and making it an I was. You're in some serious, deep theological waters to do that to the Lord. He paid a big price for this. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. He still heals today. It didn't change. He was already 
doing it ahead of the cross. <laughs> He's still doing it afterwards. Then it says, take every covenant and realize in Hebrews 8, 6, that now we're under a new and a better covenant than all the other covenants. And Jesus was saying through Abraham she's healed. And it's saying your new covenant through Jesus Christ and his blood is a better covenant. If they had the provision for healing under the old, it would not be a better covenant if we lost the healing benefits. I mean, y'all would go crazy if that was your insurance policy. Well, we're just striking this out. It's a new and better policy. How? We lost the healing benefits. Don't get too spiritual. It's a religious spirit is what it is. Okay, the next point, number seven, is the biblical witness to healing is that everyone who asked was healed without an exception, not one rejection by Jesus. There is no record of Jesus ever turning anyone away that asked. Jesus never gave us a precedent of healing being outside of God's will for anyone who asked. So I'm going to explain something. I'm going to just interject this in here. So they say, okay, then why don't you go and empty out the hospital? But I'm going to make a clarification of what I just said so you don't overread it. It says it's everyone who asks. I can only think of two or three examples where Jesus healed someone that didn't ask. He gave some bonuses. But 98% of his healings were people who asked him. There was a guy, and he loved to pray for people for healing. He prayed for everyone. And people found him kind of intrusive (laughs) in the way that he would pray for healing because he liked doing it. Anyway, he came to me finally, and he said, I'm at a school, these people aren't believers, and he said, not many of the people I'm praying for are getting healed. And he asked me, why are the people I'm praying for not getting healed? And I said, it just came to me. You know how sometimes the Lord will just give it to you on the spot. You hadn't thought of it. He wasn't letting their faith do the asking. He wasn't letting their faith get involved by asking. Even Jesus didn't push it on them. It's not your idea. It's not like you go and shove it down someone's throat. People have a right not to get saved and not to get healed. If they want to maintain their right and keep their doubt and their unbelief, you can't shove it over on the top of them. Now, I'm going to hold that thought for something different on the gift of faith, which Jesus did it a couple or three times. But for the most part, they could be standing there blind You know what it is like to look at someone that's blind? Jesus is looking at them, and he says, what do you want? I mean, that's shocking that he made them tell him what they wanted. And then a few times he says, do you want to be healed? He made them participate in their healing. He made them bring something to the table. It's not too much to ask for you to ask. To me, I think it's very, I'm going to say, rude. It's arrogant. It's presuming on God for him to provide healing. And then you say in his face, then why don't you go down there and heal everybody in the hospital? You really going to say that to God? I think we better look at how Jesus did it. Because Jesus let them come to him and ask. And he messed with them some. He brought faith out in them. He put them sometimes a little bit to the test. And they weren't whiny and and said, oh, he said such horrible things to me. He rejected me. They didn't run off. They stayed and got their miracle. It's better than what Gentiles do. So I'm clarifying that I said that anyone who came to Jesus and asked, he healed them. 
So Psalm 103.3 says that he forgives all of our iniquities and he heals all of our diseases. Man, there's something to this all faith. He healed them all. If the Bible didn't mean it, it shouldn't have said all. Look at these. Matthew 18, 11, he healed them all. Matthew 12, 15, he healed them all. Mark 6, 56, he healed them all. Luke 4, 40, he healed them all. All healed. One third of Jesus' ministry was healing. And he had to keep moving to keep going to more cities, healing more people. Mark 16, 18, the great commission to all believers, lay hands on sick people and God will heal them. Don't reverse it. God doesn't lay hands on them, and you heal them. That's what we think. God should reach down out of heaven and heal them. No, it says you put your hands on them, and God does the healing. Because you can't heal, and God doesn't do the hands. You see? You lay hands, he heals. Part of the deal. Matthew 10, 38. When Jesus' ministry was summarized, it used he healed them all. All of them. When they were telling about it in Acts, they said it was an all healing. These are people that were with him. They knew he healed them all. And then Acts 5.16, it says, And the apostles started healing all. It says the same thing about them. So Jesus' half-brother in James 5.14, he tells sick people what to do, what they ought to do to recover, and he leaves no doubt for the outcome. Is any of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick. It's harder to find elders that believe <laughs> than it is to get healed. This is what Jesus said. Oh, unbelieving generation, where can you find a church that honestly believes for praying for the sick? Honestly, that they can pray that prayer of faith over you. We've been taught Jesus' miracles week after week in the pulpit, but it never awakens an expectation that we should pray for the sick or be prayed for. We teach his miracles as cute little stories with spiritual meanings, but we do not apply it to an expectation of healing. And then you have Ananias, who wasn't even an apostle, but he was just an ordinary Christian, and God used him to lay hands on Paul in healing. Acts 9, 17. And you can just pray the word of God. The word has healing. It's medicine. So I started seeing the all aspect so how did God reveal himself? The final one, he revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. But then he got even more personal. And if you were going to ask me in one word, why do you believe in healing? Some of you are saying, I wish you had done this at the beginning. One word, why do you believe in healing? I would say my one word is Father. I would take Matthew 7 through 11 and say, would a dad put cancer on a child? Would a dad do this? The scorpions, the stones, these are the strongest illustrations possible. He discusses good gifts versus bad gifts. Cancer is a bad gift. Have you ever seen someone where cancer ate their nose and it was rotted off? Then you haven't been to the nursing homes with me. Mutilated bodies. My grandmother, first person that survived of the type of cancer, she had at MD Anderson, late 40s. But she would open up her clothing, and I looked at her twisted, mutilated body. They got it, but they tore her up doing it. There's higher ways. It's a bad gift. So 
my answer to healing is father. It's in the context of a father. That's the only way you can explain it. My theology is, what would my dad do? You know, it's the God who takes and weaves together everything that has ever happened to you and forces it to work for good. What Satan meant for evil, God can weave something good out of it. Romans 8:28 and Genesis 50:20. Someone gets saved of a tragedy, a witness to one of the nurses or the doctors, God can bring good out of it. Genesis 50:20. But if it was described in one word, it's him, Father. So summary. If you have not established yourself on God's will in the matter, your prayers won't be effective because they won't have that strength of knowing I'm praying to my Father. I'm praying to God. I'm not having to talk him into it. There are clogs sometimes in the pipelines, but I know God wants me healed because he went to so much trouble to get healing to me. And salvation and my sins being forgiven means so much to me more for eternity's sake than if he would do that for me. How much? Why would he withhold something like healing? Since salvation and forgiveness of sin is so much more. Like, I want to spend eternity with him. So Paul makes that point. If he didn't withhold that from us, then what would make you think he'd withhold anything good from us anywhere? So what happens is, and I think this is why people do with the scriptures on this, a person's salvation can't be proved on earth. You can't prove it. You can't prove whether they went to heaven or hell. It's strictly faith. It's totally faith without seeing, right? Believe in someone saved? We can't prove it. But with healing, that's the fun of healing. You can prove it. It either works or it doesn't. And I think that's why people stumble over healing. It's the same word. It's the same thing that happens to you. God goes into your spirit and he saves you and he makes you new. And he makes your body new. But healing's more fun because you can see how it works out and how it doesn't. And I think that's why people are afraid of it. And I would tell you, quit being so morbid about it. I decided I'm going to start having more fun with healing. And be like that doctor, I'm going to keep trying. And taking God's word and applying it to the situation. I'm going to keep being persistent with it's how I want to say it. I'm going to keep persisting on the fact that I know God wants to heal me. I've just got to figure out how. Like how? Sometimes I'm asking him, please do it. And I just need to ask him, how do you want to do it? So, your breakthrough on healing. Honestly, when we were going through this, what happens is you can have a spiritual breakthrough on healing just hearing all this. Because something in what I said will jump out and go to a place that you never knew it could go inside of you. You'll be like, I never thought of that before. Like, healing grabbed me. It grabbed me. I was speaking at the prison at TYC to a bunch of girls And when I was explaining healing to them, and I said, you pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One girl let out a scream that I'll never forget, a scream of faith, because it hit her that there was no sickness in heaven. And she could see healing coming down. And it was the purest scream I'd ever heard when that breakthrough happened inside of her of, God wants me healed because that's what heaven's like. 
And the power of God hit her. That's why the word is so much fun because it moves and you can feel it and it's living and it's active. And I could go through this lesson a second time right now and you'd get something different out of it. It would feel different. I'd emphasize something differently. The word is active, two-edged, moving, and it's fun. So the word will invade your experience. You're trying to make your experience annihilate the word of God. You're trying to say that God doesn't heal by your experience. You need to get the word to change your experience, not your experience to change the word. The Bible never set it up experience-based. Of course it's going to take something. What do you think Jesus went through to bring it to us? He had to change our experience. Our experience was a fall from fellowship with God where we literally came under the curse. So he had to go through the steps to change man's experience. The same model is set up for you. That you take the word of God and change your experience. Your experience will change to conform to the will and word of God. Your experience will change to conform to the word. Your experience will line up with the word. Your experience will take on the shape of the word. It's amazing. We're got it the wrong way. That's why people that are talking about healing, even people that love the Lord, have a walk with God, they're letting their experience of what they've seen on themselves and other people dictate what they believe about the word rather than letting the word dictate what their experience will be so by the time you deal with the perfect will of god you deal with the man himself having inside of us god's will to heal that he did the creation and he even loves non-believers the non-saved enough to put salvation healing inside of them putting of course that's reserved for the believers is that salvation but he put within them the healing in a natural form of their body wanting to heal and then giving us the salvation of healing the cross the supernatural the origin the language of the hebrew and the greek the fact that healing is continual it didn't stop in scripture that it's today yesterday forever that healing goes throughout that he didn't change from the I am to the I was, that it's for all and for everyone. And he based his entire covenant name on healing, that I am the Rapha. And then he whispers to you, I'm Father. Believe me, you can have a breakthrough if you'll believe it. And that was worth me getting out of bed and shouting about and getting my healing. Amen. <laughs>